You might not know this, but building a healthy gut or a gastrointestinal system is one of the most important things you should be working on to maintain your health and longevity. That's why actually in my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, I devote the entire first chapter to the gut. I like to compare the gut or gastrointestinal system to the foundation of your home. You have to have a strong gastrointestinal system upon which to build great health. So with that in mind, I want to share a few tips to help you do just that. The first step with improving your gut health is to clean up your diet, removing inflammatory foods, foods you may have sensitivities towards, and treating gut infections. Like I mentioned, I get into this in a lot more depth in chapter one of my book. Once you've done that, however, there are also some amazing nutrients that exist to help you heal further. Two of my favorite Your Longevity Blueprint combination powder products for helping patients heal their guts are called Gut Shield and GI Support. Gut Shield contains several important ingredients, including glutamine and zinc. Glutamine is the most important non-essential amino acid for gut healing, and zinc is a top mineral for gut healing as well. Gut Shield also contains N-acetyl-D-glucosamine and aloe vera. N-acetyl-D-glucosamine is a mucin precursor that has been shown to increase the production of mucus within the GI tract. This is beneficial in coating the tract and protecting it. Gut Shield also contains deglycerized licorice root extract, also known as DGL, a form of licorice root that does not contain glycerizin, which can raise blood pressure. Licorice has been known to treat and heal ulcers. It works as a demulcent to soothe the irritated tissue. It's antispasmodic, anti-inflammatory, and anti-allergenic. Aloe vera has been used throughout history to promote a normal inflammatory response. You may have used it on your cuts, scrapes, or burns as a child. Studies have shown that aloe vera is also specifically beneficial to the gastric mucosa, in part through its ability to balance stomach acid levels and promote healthy mucus production. All these gut healing nutrients are packed into one little scoop of powder that can be added to a beverage of your choice or mixed into a smoothie. I recommend patients consume this consistently for at least three months for gut healing. My second favorite product for gut healing is called GI Support, a gut healing protein powder containing glutamine as well. The difference here is that GI Support is also loaded with natural anti-inflammatories like turmeric. It also contains arabinogalactins, which serve as prebiotic fiber. And it contains green tea extract, also known as EGCG, a potent antioxidant that further helps to reduce inflammation. It's the Cadillac of gut healing powders because it has protein, the amino acid glutamine, prebiotics, anti-inflammatories, and antioxidants all in one scoop. And yes, it can be combined with gut shield. Consider taking the Synergistic Blend daily while focusing on cleaner eating. These products aren't needed forever, but they sure help expedite the healing process of your gut lining. Check out more product information on our website and use code HEALGUT for 10% off either product. That's Gut Shield or GI Support at YourLongevityBlueprint.com. Now, let's get back to the show. beneficial bacteria that were there before now at such low levels that they actually are not really functional, but they're there. This is the dysbiosis that occurs after antibiotics. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You are about to hear again from Karan Krishnan, who is the founder of Microbiome Labs. This is part two of a two-part series. As always, I'd encourage you first to go back and listen to part one, where he provides in-depth examples of why gut health translates into full body health, and he unpacks what spore-based probiotics are, where they come from, and shares about psychobiotics for mental health. In this week's episode, he will share a bit about SIBO, also what ghost or postbiotics are, share how the FODMATE enzyme works, talk about immunoglobulins, and even probiotics for dogs. Let's get started. 
You just unpacked so much there. I have like five follow-up questions. I'm not sure if I can remember them, but let me go back to you. You were talking about how animals many times are given antibiotics. Humans are, are also given antibiotics. So is there any sort of case for back to that 50 billion strain probiotic you mentioned? Do you feel like there is a, a case for sh- maybe short course of a high burst of probiotics to kind of I don't know, re-inoculate the gut after heavy antibiotic use and then to maybe go back to a maintenance of like the megaspore? So there's actually data on this. And in fact, uh, there's two big published studies that show that those kind of uh, of high concentration uh, probiotics actually negate the recovery of your microbiome. Wow. Yeah, I would not have expected you to say that. <laughs> right, which is completely opposite, right? And But we've been, what's interesting about it is one of the things we came out saying in 2013 when we when we first started talking about the microbiome is that there is an issue with these high-dose, high-concentration probiotics that just have lots of different strains in it competing with your natural flora, right? Because if you take a, a lactobacillus, you know, acidophilus, for example, and you naturally have acidophilus in your gut, this acidophilus could very well compete for the binding sites with your natural acidophilus or negate it in some way. And we always talked about that. And, and the only way to know that it doesn't do that is to do studies on it. And then most of these products have no studies on them. We always got the question about what do we do to recover the gut from antibiotics? Do we take a broad spectrum probiotic? Our answer has always been no. I would hypothesize that it would actually negate the repair. And then sure enough, there was two big studies that came out in 2018 and I think 2019 that showed exactly that, that after a course of antibiotics, if you took these kind of high concentration, multi-strain probiotics, it slowed down the recovery of your microbiome. In contrast, we did it and we published a study on the spores showing that when you took the spores, not only with the antibiotic, but right after the course antibiotic, it actually improved and accelerated the recovery. And here's why. Let me, I think it's important to understand what's happening in the microbiome when you take antibiotics. So let's say you have all, all my, each of my fingers are different microbes in the gut microbiome, right? And they're all at kind of equal level right now. Of course, an antibiotic comes in. What happens when the antibiotic comes in within the first two and a half hours is all of them get knocked down by over 90%, all of the microbes equally. Most microbes in the gut are going to be susceptible to the presence of antibiotics, right? So most of them get knocked down. What then starts to happen is they start to grow back at different rates. Now your microbiome after that first course antibiotic starts to look like this. And then the second dose comes in, boom, everything gets knocked down again. But then things come back at a different rate. Now they start to look like this. And multiple doses of the antibiotics. Finally, you have all these microbes still, but they're at completely different levels than when they first started. One reason for that is the constant changing environment in the microbiome. An example of that is a healthy microbiome, a healthy gut environment, really, tends to be more acidic. So your stomach, we know, is super acidic. And then the small intestine can be relatively acidic at the the proximal side near your stomach. And then typically is around five and a half to a pH of around six. And then as you get towards your large bowel, you start to see more neutralization of the acidity in the gut. Now, there are lots of good bacteria in your gut that produce lactic acid. And it's the lactic acid that acidifies the gut and maintains stability. Now, one of the reasons why the acidity is important is because a lot of egregious microbes and fungus and in a mold, mostly fungus, 
can't grow at acidic environments. A lot of the pathogens don't grow well in acidic environments. So that acidity in part keeps control of many of the dysfunctional microbes that may overtake the system. So when you take a course of antibiotics, all of these lactic acid producing bacteria get knocked down. That means there's no lactic acid being produced. So now the pH of the gut is a little bit higher. So as the bacteria come back, the ones that do better at a higher pH come back a little faster. Each knockdown, the base level goes up, the gut becomes less and less acidic. And so then the microbes that do better at the less acidic uh, environment come back faster and faster and faster. So what happens when you're done with the course of antibiotics, all the microbes, for the most part that you had in the beginning, are still there. They're now at just completely different levels. All these beneficial bacteria that were there before now are at such low levels that they actually are not really functional, but they're there. Dysfunctional bacteria that are at low levels are now at high levels. And so this is the dysbiosis that occurs after antibiotics. It's not that you're wiping out and eliminating and microbes are gone forever, right? So that re-inoculation idea doesn't actually work in that sense. What you actually need is something to come in and readjust the the levels of these microbes. Kind and the spores do sense, that. Yeah, kind of the sense what the problem is. And yeah. Exactly. It's no different yeah. than your garden, right? If you if you haven't tended your garden in a while, the weeds are going to start to grow. The environment's going to change. Plants that you're hoping to grow are getting suppressed by the weeds and so on. So it's really about going in and making an ecological change in that in that garden. Same thing in your gut. It's about going in and readjusting the environment so the good guys come back and the bad right. guys get suppressed. Prebiotics and spores, diet, all of those things will help do that. So is mega spore probiotic contraindicated in anyone? Like who should not take this product? We haven't found anyone that should not take it. The only people we say are people who are on specific immunosuppressants because of organ transplants. If you recently had like an, a kidney transplant or something like that, and you're on a regimen of uh, uh, immunosuppressants, you shouldn't be taking any supplements anyway, unless you're really working carefully with your doctor. So outside of that. So what about SIBO? What about SIBO? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So SIBO people need the spores almost more than anyone else. So let's talk about why probiotics have been contraindicated for SIBO people to begin with. So SIBO, really, the, when you look at it from a microbiome perspective, the way you define SIBO is, is there's a taxa shift, number one. Uh, in, the, in the small intestine, you're supposed to have a predominance of gram-positive bacteria, right? Those are the good functional bacteria in the small intestine, and they're not supposed to grow above a level of around 10 to the 4 CFUs per gram of stool. In, in that area. So that's a level. The number doesn't really matter, uh, but it's about 10 to the 4. So imagine you have gram-positive bacteria at 10 to the 4. That's a healthy small intestine. Now, for a variety of reasons, and you know, I do a whole SIBO talk for a couple hours, but, but a lot of it is about uh, stomach acid compromise. So using PPIs you know, or, or having overgrowth of H. pylori that compromises stomach acid. You have a lot of gram-negative bacteria in your mouth, enterococcus and so on. That is a major source of SIBO bacteria, is the mouth. The mouth is full of the exact bacteria that seem to dominate in the SIBO gut. And this becomes a daily source of this microbes because you're swallowing billions of those gram-negative enteric bacteria into your gut. But what's happening is under normal healthy conditions, all of these bacteria that you're swallowing are getting killed in the stomach. 
from the stomach acid. So they're not entering the small intestine in a viable state. So if stomach acid is compromised because of H. pylori or because you're using antacid, so on, drugs, PPIs, then these organisms are getting past the stomach acid in a viable state and they're colonizing the small bowel and they're taking over the small bowel. So that's step one of why SIBO is being created. This is why there's something called PPI-induced SIBO. That is a definitive condition. This is why H. pylori infection is also associated with SIBO. Now, the other thing that's associated with SIBO is liver dysfunction. There is, uh, and I'm trying to remember the numbers off the top of my head, but uh, around 50% of people with SIBO also have compromised liver function. When you compare that to same age match individuals who don't have SIBO, it's less than 14%. You have three times more likely to have liver dysfunction if you have SIBO. And you're three times more likely to have SIBO if you have liver dysfunction. So they go hand in hand. Now, why is that? Well, when your liver becomes compromised, the one of the first things that becomes compromised is the production of bile acids. The bile acid pool that your liver produces that's stored in your gallbladder and secreted through your small intestine gets compromised. So the bile acid pool shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. So your volume of bile that you can produce and secrete during the, the consumption process reduces dramatically. Why does that have an impact on SIBO? Well, bile does a very, very important thing to keep the growth of bacteria very low in the small intestine. Number I one. always tell patients it regulates pathogenic load. Yeah, it like, does, yes, yeah, yes, because yes, it's yes. an antimicrobial by itself. Bile is an antimicrobial on itself. And it, through a single meal that you eat, you can actually recycle the same bile acid pool up to 15 times. The bile gets released through the gallbladder into the small intestine. It moves through the small intestine. It gets reabsorbed at the end of the small intestine, goes back to the liver. The liver picks up all the nutrients and toxins and does what it needs to do with that, cleans up the bile, sends it back to the gallbladder for, for recycling again and release in, in, the, in the small gut. So when you have food in that system, you are coating the system with bile. What that does is that means that it doesn't allow the microbes that live there to go, hey, this food, we can go crazy and start fermenting things and producing gas and creating all of these byproducts, right? Because the bile is there suppressing the metabolic activity of the microbes when food is present. Now, the other thing that bile does is at the very end of the small intestine when it's getting reabsorbed, it triggers a receptor called the nuclear FXR receptor. That receptor causes the small bowel lining to release antimicrobial compounds. And again, as a secondary protection to make sure that bacteria are not active when food is present. And that's a really, really important protection so that you don't get fermentation in your small bowel, which is essentially what's happening in SIBO. When you have bile acid compromise, not only do you have the lack of bile moving through and, and uh, acting as an antimicrobial itself, you also have bile not activating the nuclear FXR receptor as much, so you don't have the antimicrobial protection that is supposed to be present during food and during feeding. Now, you've got these enteric bacteria that are moving in, and they have uh, higher numbers in the gut, and on top of that, when food is present, they have the chance to metabolize and create bloating and gas and you know hydrogen and methane and everything else that they produce. And so SIBO is that dysbiotic. It's a it's a liver function issue. It's a uh, it's an oral health issue because you've got too many enteric pathogens in your mouth. It's a stomach acid issue. And then finally, SIBO causes significant leaky gut. 
the presence of gram-negative bacteria in the small intestine that's now inflamed because of all the production of ammonia and all these other noxious gases that that lining is not used to. Now it's it's leaky and it's inflamed. And because there's gram-negative bacteria, they have something called lipopolysaccharide or an endotoxin. That endotoxin is leaking through the small intestinal lining. And what happens is it goes up the vagus nerve and it lodges itself in an area of the brainstem called the dorsal vagal complex. When LPS from your gut lining ends up in the dorsal vagal complex, what happens is the signals from the brain to the gut to move the bowels stop. Now your bowels are in stasis, which is another feature of SIBO. Your bowels don't move. The movement of the bowel is so important to control bacterial growth for two reasons. One, because remember, food transits out of the small intestines within something like three hours, two and a half to four hours-ish, food is basically moved through the small intestine, going to the large intestine. That timing is incredibly important and very biologically uh, significant. The reason is because bacteria have something called a lag phase of growth. So if you take food, for example, uh, and you set it out on your counter, food that should be refrigerated or it'll overgrow microbes, right? It doesn't overgrow microbes immediately. It takes eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours to overgrow. The reason why it takes so long, even though that's a good environment for bacteria to grow, is because all bacteria go through a lag phase where their metabolic activity is really, really slow until they all of a sudden hit a logarithmic phase and they go nuts, that lag phase is like seven, eight hours. So if the food can transit out of that environment within two or three hours, the bacteria will never go into log phase growth. So transit time is really important. Now, the LPS leaking through and creating this bowel stasis means that when you eat food, the food is staying in your small intestine for eight, 10, 12 hours. Your transit time is super slow. You're constipated, so you're not even pooping it out. Things aren't moving through. And then the other part of it is not only is it the peristaltic movement of the bowel that stops, the migrating mortar complex signal stops. The migrating mortar complex is a sweeping electrical signal that basically cleans out the small bowel. And you don't get that. And so you don't have that cleaning effect to make it a a food-free environment for most of the day. And so those are all the things that compound together to create the condition of SIBO. And it starts with a, uh, you know, dysfunction in the, in the oral microbiome, in the stomach, in the liver, and so on. So one of the key things to stopping SIBO is resealing the lining of the small intestine, because if it's leaky, you're going to continue to have stasis. You also need something to go in there and fight some of these gram-negative bacteria, because they're the dysbiotic organisms in the gut. The spores do both of those things. They seal up the lining of the gut. They stop the leakiness of the gut. They can start to trigger bowel movement. They can compete against the gram-negative bacteria and bring their levels down. And then they also protect the liver. We've published Two studies now showing spores have the ability to protect the liver and people who have SIBO have extreme amounts of toxicity on the liver. Because not only do they likely have SIBO because the liver was already being compromised for whatever reason, the endotoxins that leak through, 85% of the endotoxins that leaks through goes first to the liver. And then the liver has to deal with all of that endotoxemia, which then leads to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, right? Non-alcoholic steatohepatitis and so on. And that progresses along that line, which means that bile acids become more and more compromised. 
So the liver support is so important. And we've been able to show in published clinical trials that the spores protect the liver. Megaspore contains spores of the bacterium bacillus species. When these spores are ingested, they're able to sense the environment of the gut through chemical signaling molecules. Once they reach a critical mass, they activate a process known as quorum sensing, which allows them to communicate with one another and coordinate their actions. Through this quorum sensing process, the megaspore probiotics are able to modulate the gut microbiome, supporting the growth of beneficial bacteria and reducing the population of harmful bacteria. This can lead to improved digestion, better immune function, and a range of other health benefits. Overall, Megaspore works again via quorum sensing by allowing the spores to communicate with one another and modulate the gut microbiome, leading to improved health outcomes. We carry Megaspore at the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic and happily can ship near worldwide. Now you have me thinking, you know, my patients who have had their gallbladder removed, obviously we're supporting, well, I, I am supporting their microbiome and giving them oxbile if they need it. But now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, these individuals are at a greater risk of SIBO. I mean, you just kind of made me realize that, which is totally the case. Um, what about patients who you're saying patients with SIBO should tolerate this? And you you made a strong case for why they need these sports for various reasons. But what if they have an adverse reaction? Because I will say I am one of those individuals who's had SIBO, who didn't tolerate probiotics. I, in the past, I need to try this again, but in the past, I didn't tolerate it. I will say my symptom that I always get is tachycardia. That has just been my symptom. And I'm presuming it's endotoxemia because these are, you know, killing off the gram negative, like you were mentioning, bacteria. And that's kind of had been my response, which what has really helped me are serum-derived immunoglobulins, which is why I really want to get to that piece also, right? Because you kind of alluded to that earlier that we also need to bind pathogens and toxins and right not let them leak through our gut lining. So I know I'm asking a lot here, but first, let me go back to if someone's not tolerating a spore-based probiotic, why do you think, well, what's happening? Is my presumption correct? It is. Yeah, it's a classic Herxheimer reaction. It's a detox reaction, or our naturopaths would call it a healing crisis, right? Where these bad bacteria are being killed off, which means they release their toxins in larger loads, and your body will go through different responses to that. But it's actually the perfect segue for one of our solutions for that is it doesn't mean it, you you can't do the spores. It means two things to me. It means you have to go much slower. And then number two, you need something to negate that Herxheimer reaction, which immunoglobulins are the perfect thing for that. These bovine serum immunoglobulins are like a magical thing. It's one of the few things that I take like religiously. Me every too, day, every day. Right? Especially when I tra- travel and all that too. It is such a, it's, it's such a gift to us because uh, think about it this way. And it's largely IgG, but there's some IgM antibodies as well and IgA, but it's largely IgG. IgG are those big, awesome neutralizing antibodies, right? That are very specific to certain things. And imagine these cows are out there in the pasture and encountering all kinds of stuff environmental toxins, viruses, microbes, pathogens, all that stuff. And their immune systems are building antibodies against all of these things that absolutely neutralize these things, including environmental toxins, which is a very important part of it. And so then we get to pull out the serum from the cows and concentrate the immunoglobulins and utilize them. What Basically, what we're doing is we're sending in these little amazing drones that have specificity for all kinds of toxigenic things, including mold toxin, viruses, bacteria, environmental toxins, all of these things that they then neutralize 
all of these things, including LPS. They bind that too in the lining of the gut, dramatically bringing down the toxigenic and immunogenic load in the gut. And that allows for uh, um, a respite in the inflammation and toxicity in the lining of the gut, which then allows the gut to heal. This immunoglobulin by itself has studies on uh, HIV enteropathy, for example. HIV enteropathy is a very severe form of leakiness in the gut in HIV patients. In fact, the NIH published a study showing that HIV enteropathy was a better predictor of mortality in HIV patients than viral load itself because the leakiness in the gut that they experience drives all kinds of other risk factors, right, including chronic low-grade inflammation and so on. And so, and then there's also studies on a pediatric ulcerative colitis uh, patients where they're showing the ability to modulate the lining of the gut, even under that kind of condition. Then the question becomes, well, how do they actually, you know, repair the damage that's occurring in the lining of the gut? They repair it by allowing repair to occur. So the analogy I give people is like, if you get a cut on your hand, it's going to perfectly heal unless every single day you rub it and irritate it. Imagine you wake up every morning and you rub and scratch at that cut. It's never going to heal. Inflammation and toxicity that we experience every single day from things coming in or, or endotoxins is the same as rubbing your cut. So if your gut is leaky and damaged and the lining and the mucosa are all damaged, if there's constant inflammation in the area, it never repairs. And that's the same thing that would happen on your hand. So what the immunoglobulins do is they give some respite. They reduce the toxigenic load. They reduce the inflammatory response so that your system can actually repair. That's why they work so well with the spores, because the spores induce repair. but And, uh, and the immunoglobulins negate the infl- inflammation and toxicity so the repair can actually happen. And just for the listeners, how they do that is they are binding all of these bad things that you've mm-hmm. mentioned, making them so large they can't get reabsorbed into the bloodstream, so you poop them out, essentially. That's right? Exactly so it's right. lessening that burden on the immune system. But just for, so the listeners can put that together, basically you take these bimouths, you take those, these immunoglobulins, they bind to those bad things, and then you poop them out. Just had to simplify, because yep. you're so smart. I had to just no, <laughs> and, and it makes, break and that down. A, yeah. That's a great way to put it. And I do want to yeah. distinguish it from other binders, right? Because yes. they're not like... It's not an environmental binder. Yes. Exactly, yeah. which, which yeah. bind like a bunch of stuff and take it out. Mm-hmm. These are so specific to specific things, right? A, a single immunoglobulin that's specific to an aflatoxin and mold will only bind to that aflatoxin and mold, but it's so specific to it that it'll bind to it in such a strong way that it'll never let it go. And that's the beauty of this, these immunoglobulins is they're so specific and so powerful in their capability, but they also don't bind good stuff, which is great, right? Because you don't want them binding nutrients and all your good bacteria and so on. Totally. I know the serum-derived immunoglobulins have really helped me. I, so I think that is what's happening. Personally, with me, I do want to go back to, you had mentioned again, like, like vets have done a lot of research. I had no idea that maybe they were ahead of us, but they've done more research on impacting their animals' microbiome, right, for their animals' longevity, whatnot. I want to just bring in really quickly something that I think has helped my animal is that you also have a probiotic for animals. Actually, that's not this. This is FODMATE, which I want to get to too, but phytospore. You have phytospore. Can you briefly just mention kind of what organisms are in that? I had a vet, a holistic vet who I interviewed on this podcast once tell me that it actually had, I'm going to probably murder this, but something like a similar makeup to some organisms that are found in grass because sometimes animals are like my dog will go and eat grass sometimes. And so she's obviously, her body's trying to get something. So is that correct? Or can you expand on that and the strength of that sort of product that you carry for animals? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was our belief that our animals. So when you look at our animals, and my uh, my dog just passed away uh, a couple mm. weeks ago. My thirteen year old, right? Everyone was heartbroken about it, uh, and the poor thing had like two different types of cancers. And mm. and then when you think about that, and you go, how often does cancer and hip dysplasia and diabetes and all that occur in the natural animal kingdom? Right? It, it doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> at all. And and there's some evidence that it that it doesn't. They they've looked at this thing, but and yet our dogs, our pets, our cats suffer from our same kind of diseases, mm-hmm. right? And my hypothesis was that it's probably because they live in our environment, which causes leaky gut. And so I started looking for information on leaky gut in canines or in, in felines, mm-hmm. and I didn't really find much. And so we set out to prove that our pets suffered from leaky gut and that the leaky gut for them was equally impactful to their overall health as it was for us, right? They had endotoxemia. And so that's what we we discovered that sure enough they have endotoxemia they have LPS it does create significant inflammation that leads to lots of other conditions and so for us we're like okay if spores can help us maybe they can help them as well but we probably need something else in addition to that so we two of our spores that are known to also exist in animals so Bacillus subtilis and Bacillus coagulans and then the third organism that we picked is something called Pediococcus acetolactici Pediococcus is the organism that's found in grasses, right? And there's actually two very natural environments of Pediococcus. It's found in grasses or shrubs and things like that. You find it in environments. And and humans have also been using them for fermenting sausages for thousands of years. And that also was developed from exposing sausages to the environment, right? This organism ends up on the sausage because you're carrying it in your your sacks or whatever, and then they ferment the sausage in such a way that it creates a new flavor. And so we've been using for the last couple thousand years, Pediococcus, even till this day in commercial sausage production as a way of fermenting sausages for improved flavor, Pediococcus, right? And that's probably the reason why dogs go and they lick the ground and they eat grass when they're not feeling well. They're trying to get this organism in. This organism is a powerful immune modulator in dogs and cats. It dramatically reduces the inflammatory response and the allergic response in dogs. That's why it helps a lot with atopic dermatitis. In, well, my in dog-, dog was licking her paws. That's why, yeah. I mean, I changed her food. The first thing I did was change her food. Yeah, she's actually eating raw dog food. I don't know how you feel about that, but I changed her to raw and also put her on the phytospore and some also supplements to mitigate histamine and whatnot. But yes, that was literally one of the reasons I sought out that probiotic, which we didn't previously have on the shelf and we do now here at the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the number one health condition among dogs and, and to some degree cats as well, but dogs for sure is atopic dermatitis. You know, they have allergies and atopic dermatitis. And that's all because their microbiomes are ruined. And so the pediococcus plays an important role. And there's some good studies on that. So then when we mix the combination of pediococcus and bacillus, because that's the things they would encounter in the outside environment, we were able to prove and publish a study showing that not only did dogs have leaky gut, but then we can also resolve the leaky gut in as little as seven to eight days by using this combination of bacteria. And that's where the phytospore Mm -hmm. came from. Very cool. I will wrap this up. I could talk to you for hours. I do want to go back to just, I already shared a little bit of my story, how I have history of SIBO, whatnot. I will say, and for the most part, my symptoms have greatly improved. I've done a lot of gut work, but I will say one product that changed my life, just the amount of foods that I can consume is FODMATE. I can literally go eat Brussels sprouts and they're just foods that I had to be so cautious with before, kind of just knowing my limit. 
So can you also talk about, this is not a probiotic. This is, so we're off the spore topic now. This is different, but this is an enzyme. Can you kind of expand on what this is for ingredients as well? And it's, it's literally changed my life. Yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal product. And to me, I was quite surprised when it didn't exist already. When we got into this world of, of gut health and I started looking at the practices that we do and, and the therapeutic gaps that exist in, in people's conditions, one of the things that, that really made me nervous was this idea of a low FODMAP diet. And a lot of people have to do it, unfortunately, because the, the resulting symptoms of consuming FODMAPs are really debilitating in, in many cases, right? It, it goes all the way from just an annoyance of having bloating and, and discomfort all the way to being debilitating for some people. So understandably, people then just avoid them. The problem with avoiding them is FODMAPs tend to be food categories that lots of your good beneficial bacteria like in your large bowel. But because of your dysbiosis and dysfunction, you're getting them fermented in your small bowel, at least some components of the FODMAP. So what we said is, wow, there's enzymes that exist that actually break down those components that would normally be fermented in the small bowel and allow them to move down to the large bowel without being fermented in the small bowel. That gives you both the opportunity to tolerate the the food, but then still utilize the benefits of the root components of the food in the bowel. You know, and so to us, it's a healthy microbiome is all about bringing back resilience and foods into your system, right? If you feel okay by eating just seven things, that's not a good condition to be in. You need to have some degree of resilience and be able to figure out a way to introduce things back into the system. And that's where the FODMATE enzyme came from. So we looked at some of the key enzymes that are required to break down the carbohydrate structures in FODMAP foods. They don't produce gas in the in the small bowel. And we put those enzymes in, and and fortunately, there were already studies on these enzymes. And the way we did it, we partnered with a naturopathic doctor on this who does a lot of work with SIBO. We formulated the product. She took the first 50 bottles or so and tried it with a bunch of patients. And they all came back, and just like you were saying, they were like, wow, this is a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. I can eat things I I couldn't touch for years now. And and that is so much joy to us. And we're like, okay, we got to get this out. Oh, it's like amazing. Every time it goes on back order, my husband, who's our office manager, he's like, don't worry, I set a bottle aside for you because I cannot, I can't run out of this stuff. Did you know that 80% of our immune system resides in the gut? It's true, which means mucosal immunity is one of the most important factors in determining overall immune health. The mucosal barrier is at the center of interactions between the immune system and the outside world. An overabundance of microbes or toxins can and often do overload and trigger negative immune reactions, which have sweeping effects throughout the body. Fortunately, we can protect ourselves with something called SBIgG. SBIgG is the only purified, dairy-free source of immunoglobulin G, IgG, available as a dietary supplement. Pure IgG helps to maintain a healthy intestinal immune system by binding a broad range of microbes and toxins within the gut lumen. Simply put, when the toxins are bound to SBIgG, they cannot interact with our immune system and we're better protected from illness and disease. Free from dairy, saturated fats, cholesterol, sugars, GMOs, hormones, and antibiotics, SBIgG is a safe choice for all patient types. With over 40 human clinical trials for a broad range of patient types, SBIgG is my go-to choice to help support the immune cells in our GI tract. This comes in a powder or capsule version. Use code IgG for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com.
for, so for the listeners who have had SIBO or who have had fructose intolerance, right? Those who haven't been able to tolerate the high gas producing foods, the FODMAPs he was alluding to, this enzyme when taken with meals is just, it, it is amazing. It's, it's awesome. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've covered most everything that I wanted to today. You're just a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure you've heard that a million times, but is there anything else you want to share that we didn't go over? I mean, we covered so much. Is there anything we're missing that you feel like you want to share? Yeah, I, I do just want to mention, we mentioned H. pylori. Uh, and I, I do want to emphasize that H. pylori, to me, is probably now one of the biggest dysbiotic drivers in our gut microbiomes. And it starts at a very early age. Most people, you know, over 50% of adults have infectious levels of H. pylori. And most of us got exposed at an early age, seven, eight years old. And since that time, H. pylori has been driving dysbiosis in the gut. And in fact, now it's tied to lots of different conditions like autoimmunity, infertility, reflux disease, of course, right? Gastritis, gastroparesis. That's the, you know, the, the lack of emptying of the stomach, right? That feeling really hard fullness in the, in the stomach when you, once you eat. And then the, the bloat and the, the distension in the stomach after you eat, so that that inflammation, all of these very common digestive symptoms are all driven by this pathogen, including very serious things like gastroesophageal cancers and gastric cancers, even things that are seemingly unrelated like autoimmune disease and infertility. And so for us, H. pylori is a big issue that has to be tackled. And in the allopathic world, they have something called triple therapy, now quadruple therapy, which is two antibiotics or three broad spectrum antibiotics and a PPI, which is probably the, the worst atom bomb for your gut and your microbiome. Mm, Think yeah, of, that's right? a good analogy. I've never heard of that as the atomic bomb for your gut, but that's good. Um, Right. We're reducing stomach acid and we're destroying the microbiome, the microbes all at once with three broad spectrum antibiotics and a proton pump inhibitor. And so for us, we're like, there's a better way to do this. And so we found a microbe. This is a natural microbe. We haven't done anything to the microbe. And this is where the ghost probiotic or the postbiotic comes in. Because this microbe, it's a lactobacillus ruteri that has a, a significant affinity on its cell membrane structure for Helicobacter pylori. It actually, all it does, and this is the only thing we've been dis, we've been able to see that it does, is it binds H. pylori, it co-aggregates with it, and it strips it out of the body and takes it out through defecation. And it's not even alive. This is where, so you'll hear terms like ghost probiotic or, or postbiotic, which describe microbes that don't have to be alive to elicit certain functions. So this microbe is intact, but not alive. You take it, you basically open the capsule, you mix it in water. And the reason you do that is we want to coat the stomach nicely with the with the bacteria. So you drink it, it coats the stomach, it grabs Helicobacter pylori and takes it out. We have 10 published studies on this on this particular organism and this and its ability to reduce helicobacter pylori uh, that i think for you as well and, and yeah. most patients yeah. you'll start to feel a difference almost immediately because you you don't realize how impactful helicobacter pylori is in the symptoms you experience every single day with the bloating the distension the lack of bowel movement and all that you'll start to feel it from the very first day did you say that's lactobacillus rhamnosus uh it's a ruteride I've always associated that with women's health. So so that's that's the beauty of probiotics, right? One or two genes different, and it has a completely different different. functionality. So this is like a same, how am I saying that? A same strain? 
similar strain but different gene? Is that what you, has slightly yeah, different? Yeah, so it's it's same species, species, but, that's but different subspecies, right? Got it. Okay. So, so a microbe, so you can have a, a lactobacillus, which is a genus, and then ruteri, which is a species. And then you can have subspecies of ruteris that all function differently, but they're all still ruteri because they share about 80% of the same conserved genome, right? So there are certain sections of a microbial genome. They're called these hypervariable regions that if they have all of those regions and they're in the same group, but within the same group, they can have completely different, different functions, yeah. right? Like E. coli, yeah. for example, right? You can have yeah. uh, E. coli 015787, which if you get exposed to will make you sick as a dog and maybe hospitalized. Or you have up to 100 different E. coli's that naturally live in your gut that never do anything bad. This, and the difference is only one or two genes. So this is a ruteri that is specialized at binding Helicobacter pylori. That's all it does. And then it takes it out of the body. It's and what's slow, that slow. product called? We don't so have that's that product. called Pyloguard. Pyloguard. Yeah, I actually have it. I have a bottle here because I just ordered a bunch. This is one <laughs> that I take regularly as well. But if you took that and the Megaspore, those aren't negating each other's function, like you're saying some no. other probiotic. Okay. Not at all. Yeah, this one uh, you you could take you take once a day or in some some severe cases twice a day, and, and you just mix it in water. I take it on an empty stomach. That's the best way to take it for me. It's one of the first things I do in the morning. I take that with uh, a couple of the supplements I take in my on my empty stomach. Wonderful. Thank you for yes sharing that. I'm sure listeners are going to want to more want to hear more from you. So where can listeners find you? Yeah, well, absolutely. They, you know, reach out to me on, uh, on Instagram. Um, my handle is Kieran Biome. So K-I-R-A-N-B-I-O-M-E. I post a lot of my interviews and talks and, and all that on there. So you can, you can access them that way. Um, if you look on YouTube and you put my name, uh, just Kieran Krishnan, you'll find tons of, uh, interviews and all that have been uploaded kindly by other people. And then certainly come to our website, uh, Microbiome Labs. We have resources there as well. And, and there's a, there's a new site that we're building, uh, that's actually built out that's a, uh, incredible resource for microbiome information. And that's called Better Biome. Better Biome is a site that we've created that's just, and it's, it's got different microbiome clinical experts. They put articles and videos and all that on many, many different topics on the microbiome. There's no products on there or anything like that. It's all about just resources and information. So you can go on Better Biome and, and, and search for resources as well. Awesome. Thank you. We'll post links to those in the show notes. And then last question. Finally, we're here. What is your top longevity tip? So my top longevity tip is um, building resilience. I don't want to be healthy by having to make 100% the right decisions. I want an 80-20 rule. I want to make 20% bad decisions that are fun and still be perfectly fine, right? That to me is quality of life. And the way you build resilience is by building a very resilient, healthy gut. Because your gut is what allows you to have, you know, exposures to things that aren't really great for you, but still deal with them. Your gut, you know, facilitates the vast majority of detox pathways, right? Your gut facilitates repair of your cells. Uh, we talked about urolithins earlier, right? So if something damages your mitochondria, your gut will produce urolithins to fix it right away. Your gut induces autophagy, or which is a way of cleaning up broken DNA and damaged cells and all that so you can recover better. Your gut protects your liver. Your gut protects your pancreas. Your gut protects your gallbladder. So it, it protects your brain. So it, it is the central command center for the functionality of your body. And if you have a resilient 
same gut, you have a resilient system. And that allows you to live a really thriving, healthy life without having to make 100% the right decisions. I love saying mic drop. Yes, that was so good. So good. Thank you so much for coming on today and just sharing what wonderful things your company's doing and for your dedication to the study of our microorganisms in the gut. You are brilliant. Again, I could listen to you for hours. This was excellent. So thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, wow, wow. He is so smart. I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone who knows so much about our gut health as he does. I've learned so much about spores and why they seem to be the most important type of probiotics we should be taking. I also had no idea various subspecies had different functions either. I've already started taking Megaspore with my immunoglobulins and Zenbiome since this interview, and it has totally calmed me down. I love it. Now remember, we carry all the Microbiome Lab products he mentions in these episodes, so stop into the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic to check them out and follow Karan Biome on Instagram. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. This podcast is produced by Team Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.